Hey, hello everybody. Good evening and welcome. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is, would you believe it, the final Paddlecast of the series. Thank you for joining us so far. I've had a wicked time. I hope you've enjoyed it as well. It's been so good. We've had such a great bunch of guests from all parts of our community and we've covered things around mental health, environment and pollution, increasing participation for women and girls, competition, paddling pioneers, and access and accessibility. So look, I've loved it. It's really warmed my heart and, and you know, I hope it has warmed yours too, because it's been lovely for me. We really are, you know, a look good bunch of people in this paddle sport community and, and it makes me really feel nice to be able to bring this to you so yeah if you've missed any of the shows in any of this series please don't forget you can just watch or listen to them all again uh via the british canoe uh, website and uh you can also head out to the british canoe space on youtube facebook or wherever you get your podcasts from as well it's all there for you and uh, if you're listening again or watching again, thank you so much for getting involved that way. It's really cool to have you along and uh, super grateful for that as well. So, hey, look, we're going to get straight into it. And uh, welcome to everybody tuning in. Thank you for being here. Um, I know it's a, well, it's a nice evening here in Nottingham in uh, in in in, uh, in terms of weather, but I hope it's going to be a really nice evening with our guests to, to, to tonight. So please, yeah, feel free to comment along the way, you know, throw some questions and just uh, we'll see how we're going. We'll try and get to as many as we can along the way. But tonight we are going to go back to our roots with the paddle cast because we started off, you know, uh, kind of going along the clear access, clear waters campaign and we kind of evolved. And now we're going back to talk about access, about the countryside and the rights of way act, which is sometimes called the Crow Act. We're going to be talking about trespassing and what next for access in the future. And I'm really, really pleased and really proud to have some really interesting guests on us with tonight. So we've got um, friends, people from the British Mountaineering Council, the Ramblers and the Outdoor Spaces Society. And we've also got a special guest appearance from one of our friends on the show, Nick Hayes, who was on the last season, who is going to be updating us about his work over the last eight months since he was last on. So first of all, uh, yeah, I'll just introduce the guest. So first of all, we've got Kate Ashbrook and Kate, well, I've been looking into Kate, sounds like an absolute legend, a real kind of pioneer who has dedicated her life to securing access to our countryside since the late 1950s. So from her early roots in the Dartmoor Preservation Society, Kate has been a president of the Ramblers and the three times the chair. So she's currently the general secretary of the Outdoor Spaces Society or OSS, which is our oldest national conservation body. She's also involved with a whole host of other organizations locally and nationally. So I feel I'm pretty safe to say that there are very few people who have been so active on access in this country. So, uh, Kate, thank you so much for being here. Um, well, you've been singled out as one of 20 of the most influential walking class heroes in a new book of the same name. So it's super good to have you here, Kate. Well, welcome. And uh, how are you doing tonight? Oh, thank you. No, I'm fine. Can I just correct you? It's Open Spaces Society. Oh, excuse and, me very much. And That's I'm not no quite as old as you made out. I haven't been campaigning since the late 1950s. That would make me more ancient than yeah, I really yeah. am. So okay. let's yeah, say yeah, that, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't now make sense. It, yeah. No, it doesn't. Let's say the um, the mid seventies, I think, might be a bit. Yeah. Okay. No, my apologies. Okay. Fair enough. And well right. spotted because you know the maths just went straight above my head. It's so all right. Thank you very much. No, welcome, welcome, welcome. And next up, we've got Dr. Kath 
Flickcroft from the BMC, the British Mountaineering Council. And uh, Dr. Flickcroft is responsible for managing the BMC's relationship with the government and other countryside and recreational organisations. So she's often found lobbying hard for the rights of hill walkers and climbers and mountaineers. And she leads the BMC on policy and legislation issues affecting the cliff and the mountain environment and is responsible for replying to numerous consultation documents in England and Wales. So uh, really interested to have you here as well. And it also says she was a, once a champion athlete and has once by her own admission spent far too much time being in the wilderness. So, and another interesting fact, your PhD, Kath, I like it, is about peat bogs, which I think peat bogs are really very good. And uh, so welcome very much, Catherine. How are you doing tonight? Are you all right? Yeah, I'm very good. Thanks, Etienne. Yeah, it's good to be here. Thank you. And I haven't said anything stupid or wrong about you, have I? No, no, absolutely fine. Not, not so far, you might say. Well done. No, well done, me. Thank you very much for being here. All right, all right. And the next one, we've got Ali Hallas, who's Ramble policy and advocacy officer so it's really good to have you here uh, Ali thank you so much I also understand that you're a bit of a paddler as well and I heard that you're based out in Croydon what sort of paddling do you do when you get the chance Ali? Uh, nervous paddling I guess um, no I do a little bit of flat water a little bit of very small white water all right. Oh, well, you know, that's cool. That's all right. We're all starting on the way on our on canoeing. You can always get bigger. You know, that's how it goes. But <laughs> no, it's super good to have you all on here. And I'm just, you know, really interested. And also, actually, uh, Ali, when I was researching you, it seemed like you've got a lot of experience and kind of background in understanding the impact of uh, us on on soil and water. Is that kind of your sort of science background there yeah. as well? Uh, before joining the Ramblers, my main areas were contaminated land assessment and water quality. Ah, okay. So yes, good person to have on this show as well. So obviously the canoeists and paddle sport community are very interested in that sort of thing as well. So really great. Thank you so much for being here. So yeah, I think first of all, we're going to uh, get chatting and we're just going to see uh, where we find ourselves. But it's really good to have you on and thank you so much. So first of all, uh, Kate, I just thought I'd, I'd come in with you and, and start. You know, as I said before this show, I've looked into a bit of your history and, and found out what you've been up to. And it's just incredible, uh, you know, all the things you've been involved in and all the campaigning you've done. I just wondered if you would mind sort of telling you know us all here how you got started on this and and what has kind of driven you all this time I got started I was um a 10 year old who went riding on Dartmoor for a, a riding holiday and absolutely loved it but I loved the horses more than the landscape at that stage but I kept going back and uh, the landscape began to speak to me and by the time I was in my I was about 17. I just had fallen in love with Dartmoor. I knew it was threatened. I knew they were proposing reservoirs um, and that there was all sorts of, you know, the military were training there. It was being bashed around. And I met this wonderful person called Sylvia Sayer, Lady Sayer. And um, she was 50 years older than me, but we became such good friends. And she kind of took me under her wing and taught me about campaigning by doing it. She gave me the opportunities. So I went to university at Exeter to be near Dartmoor, to be near her. And I went to public inquiries while I was at Exeter. Um, I'm afraid I you know, didn't do my studies as well as I might because I got carried away with going to fight the military at the military inquiry you know, and cross-examine generals about unexploded bombs on Dartmoor. And I just did it by you know, copying her. And she gave me those opportunities. And then I um, became involved in the Open Spaces Society. I got onto the committee. 
I went to a Ramblers AGM. I got onto their committee and just carried on campaigning. So I've been incredibly fortunate to have a mentor who just showed me what to do, really. And I thought I've got to be like her. I mustn't be afraid. I've just got to do it. And so, you know, I, I was very I was courageous because she enabled me to be really. Mm. And I've noticed, you know, uh, re- reading this sort of very serious kind of thread through a lot of what you've done is this kind of idea of courage and really kind of going out and pushing your comfort zones. And would you see that as something that you've actively done or is that something that you would almost like learn from this lady? Well, I suppose I learned it from her. But also, if you're going to achieve what you want to achieve, you've just got to go for it. And you might be the only person who's um, you know, speaking out for something, but you know, if you think it's right, then you do it, and that's kind of the the philosophy that I've followed. So, you know, there have been occasions when I've done things rather on my own, but uh, and I haven't, you know, I certainly don't always win by any means. Um, but it's it, that's the the kind of policy I've followed, really. Mm. Oh, great credit to you! It really kind of sings out, and it's really clear. And everything I looked at is really, really, very touched by that kind of commitment and that that clarity they have. And I was interesting, you know, the the Countryside and Rights of Weight Act, which we're going to talk a little bit about later, but that was a major kind of milestone in the history of you know access to the land. And looking back at all the successes that you had personally, I know you're involved in that. Was the Countryside and Rights of Way Act kind of like the highlight or there have been other things that you're kind of particularly proud of in, in all your in all your grafting over these years? Well, most of the things that I'm proud of are the, are the little things, actually. The paths saved from diversion um, or, or obstructions removed. And the Countryside and Rights of Way Act was, was a great achievement, but as we'll come on to say, I'm sure it's not... You know, didn't give us everything and we know it mm. didn't give us access to water. So um, it's... It was important because it kind of reversed um, the situation with landowners so that landowners could no longer say, get off my land if you were on mapped open country. So that was good. But it um, was only a partial achievement. But the things that I'm particularly proud of, I guess, are getting the Van Hoogstraten footpath open by taking East Sussex County Council to court, you know, and really persisting through a lot of um, legal action there. And, and certainly did I did that with the Ramblers very much. But when it came to the court action, I did that. You know, that was my thing. So and I look at that and then, you know, there's fun things like marching through the um, marquee at Henley Regatta when they put the marquee over the um, a footpath. You know, and I thought, right, I'm going to exercise my rights to walk this footpath on the Sunday of the regatta when yeah, they were quaffing that, yeah. champagne you know, and eating caviar. Then I go through with my rucksack and shorts. And they said, you know, if you persist in doing this, we'll throw you in the river. But I had a cameraman with me. So I said, OK, you know, but keep filming because this will be assault. So, you know, that was all fun, really. Um, and they didn't put the marquee over the footpath again. So, you know, lots of little battles which are fun to look back on, but also I can feel satisfied. And uh, people often say, oh, it's so negative what you do. But actually, I think saving something is really positive. You know, it's a really positive thing. So I look at paths that are still where they should be. Um, because of battles I've fought and I feel really pleased or bits of countryside which haven't been messed up by something uh, and and so it's really nice to be able to, to to look at that but there's loads of battles I've lost so you know don't think that I'm all that successful because it's you know plenty lost. Well yeah you win some and you lose some as the saying goes but it sounds like you've been involved in the is it the Van Hooker Straten? Yeah that was the footpath. Ah, that seems to be like a quite there's a picture of you with the big bolt cutters cutting through it because he it sounded like this guy was really a, 
kind of nasty piece of work yeah. and and you you guys kind of uh well you personally took him to court but the overall campaign was was successful and i mean i can i can sense that was must have been very intimidating when you set out to do that and and uh, do, do, do you no, well it wasn't of... it wasn't because you see mm-hmm. i lived a long way away it was the local people who were afraid and who didn't want to do anything even the police you know were, were very reluctant but because i lived somewhere away it was much easier for me um, to to pursue this court action, so I wasn't afraid of him. But I know he was a really nasty piece of work. He probably still is. I mean, he's still around, isn't he? But he formed this company so that actually we were um, ta- having to take a company to court rather than the individual. But yeah, no, that was a long a long battle and a complicated one, but really worth pursuing. You know, and people still remember it today and say, you know, we remember that case and we joined the Ramblers because of that case. So that's really yeah. nice. Oh, great credit to you. And I just want to say how grateful I am because, you know, I think the, it, it, yes, I identify a lot with what you're saying and, you know, that kind of, yeah, as I said, I just think that it's clear that you're, uh, you can't even make this joke without sounding like an idiot. You know, you're walking, walking the walk and walking the talk that you do as well, because, you know, it's so, yeah, it's, it's wonderful. So thank you. Uh, I'm, I'm going to just going to just quickly uh, speak to Kath, uh, if you, that's all right. So, Kath, the British Mountaineering Council, um, I guess they're involved with mountaineering and climbing and all of those things. But I'd be interested if you could tell us a little bit about what they do and kind of what your involvement is with them a little bit more, please. Yeah, well, it's it's quite a big question, Etienne, in terms of it's impossible to cover everything here in terms of what we do. It's so wide ranging. But I'll try and give you a bit of a flavour in terms of what the access and conservation team do. So we're a team of five. Um, and my colleagues Rob and Alvin um, in particular work on negotiating access on the ground uh, to crags for climbing and they've had some real success over the years. Um, So each year for example uh, working in partnership with our team of access volunteers on the ground um, we agree seasonal climbing restrictions for schedule one cliff nesting birds um, and also birds that are locally rare Okay, so to protect the areas when they are uh, when they when they've got nesting birds in, is that what? Yeah, so peregrines peregrines love nesting on a climbing route. It's a well known thing, <laughs> and uh, a ra- and things like ravens, which are sort of locally rare, and ring ousels. So, yeah, and this year, for example, we've had loads of reports of new uh, new pairs on that are nesting on crags, or that pairs that haven't nested for a long time, um, and so we're kind of currently investigating these because they're sort of nesting at the moment. So. Yeah, that that keeps that 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 team pretty busy. Unfortunately, because of COVID as well, we have actually lost some access to some privately owned crags, uh, particularly during lockdown. Um, some of the quieter crags were p- more popular than they've ever been. Yeah, we have lost a bit of access. Um, so, for example, uh, Becker Banks Crag in Yorkshire, it's on privately owned land. More people were turning up than ever before, and the landowner just wasn't happy with it. So, okay. So yeah, not not all good news, uh, but yeah. So that, that that's that's part of what we do. We've also got land management. We own and manage twelve crags. Um, and myself and my colleague Evan, we do the sort of policy uh, and advocacy side of the work. So in the past, I've been involved with the passage of the Marine and Coastal Access Act. I've been trying to influence the Agriculture Act and the new Police Crime Sentencing and Courts Bill that's going through at the moment. Mm-hmm. The sort of dry stuff, but that does have an impact on you know where people can go and what they can do so um yeah and at the moment in wales the wales access reform program has uh, been taking up quite a bit of time so it'll be interesting to see what what happens with their the recommendations that they're due to announce soon 
And yeah, more recently, our efforts have been kind of concentrated on getting some good practice messages out there post-lockdown, uh, messages out to the wider public and our members, really. So we've done a whole series, a, a Respect the Wild series on leave no trace when you wild camp, um, leave no trace when you're van camping, how to poo like a pro. Oh, very important. Um, we've got a Hills to Oceans litter picking campaign. Uh, obviously, give, well, we're giving out litter pickers free of charge and compostable bags. And we've got a no more bar- no more barbecues campaign as well, which um, yeah, obviously people don't understand the the significance of taking a disposable barbecue onto a more onto a moorland setting. Um, yeah, the number of wildfires that we see, particularly in the Peak District, it's just phenomenal. So trying to get the message out there, and we're calling on governments to make the use of disposable barbecues uh, on open moorland a criminal offence. So. It's amazing. I mean, it sounds you know so much crossover here, right? Because you know a lot of these these good practices, these stewarding of the uh, you know the stewarding of the land or the water, as we're talking about, you know, is so important. And I guess the, um you know the canoeing and kayaking community must overlap massively together. You know, I was really really interested in climbing before I became a canoeist, and I was didn't glad I didn't. So I'm a bit scared of heights, probably like a lot of people. But are you, are you a climber yourself, Kath? Um. I have climbed, but I think I've, I've done it less and less over the years because, yeah, possibly like you, when I finish a climb, I'm actually just grateful to be alive, not the fact that I've improved, you know, my, my moves. <laughs> I like to take a crag by surprise when I climb it. I don't tell anyone uh, I'm going to do it. <laughs> oh, I see. No, I mean, it sounds, I mean, look, it, it, what you've said there, you know, it sounds like it's quite complicated. It sounds quite um, sometimes challenging because, you know, you're dealing, I'm sure, with you're trying to balance interests and also dealing with some quite complicated piece of legislation. So is there sort of, are you a bit nerdy around that as well? Or is it sort of thing that you're kind of just, you know, I guess it must be very complicated. Yeah, I mean, I guess a bit nerdy. You need to know things a bit, you know, a little bit about occupiers liability and, yeah, the Crow Act and, yeah, various sections of various acts, but that's good. I've always been a bit nerdy, so I'm quite comfortable with that. <laughs> and um, so it, it, I, I've heard that you arrange walks with MPs as part of the all-party group on mountaineering, and that sounds like kind of interesting because getting people to see with their own eyes and maybe feel with their own feet, you know, the the, the places that we're talking about, that sounds really cool. And do you think that that, you know helps the uh, I suppose that you must see a different side because we see politicians on the tv and we think probably all sorts of preconceptions around them but what happens when you're taking them out you know do you take them climbing or just out on on the on the on the crag yeah. and, and out we've done places? both actually we do invite um MPs who've particularly got a good crag you know or a popular crag or popular climbing area in their constituency yeah we we have offered to take them climbing and yeah quite a few have taken us up on it uh, yeah, and the walk we've been doing that. Well, the all-party parliamentary group for mountaineering is uh, ten years old this year. So, yeah, we've done a we've done a, a walk most years when um, things like yeah Brexit and COVID haven't got in the way. It has been a really good been a really good opportunity to kind of sort of in a soft in a soft touch way lobby MPs and talk to them about various issues. Um, so the, the one we've got planned this year is uh, in um, walking up Kinder Scout um, and we're going to talk to them about the work of Moors for the Future and the peatland restoration work there and the contribution that's making to the whole kind of co- um, climate emergency story. And yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, look, it's really interesting, isn't it? To get the get, to get these MPs into this place and you, they can, yeah, to sort of 
do that sort of yeah you know i guess experiencing things is the way people learn things and it sounds yeah that sounds like a really good idea and i don't even know whether or not british canoeing we should definitely take some mps out canoeing at some point and go and uh, yeah some small white water it'd be it'd be brilliant if we had the opportunity to do a whole day of you know all of us could do with a group of mm. you know we could take them for a walk take them for a paddle take them up a mountain we could have a camp yeah we could have a camp it would be go cool. wild camping in a group you'd have to see who turns up though because it could be a bit the fireside chat you know the kind of campfire chat might be you know we'd have to be careful what what subjects we veered onto and stuff oh it could be all but it could also be quite fun no thank oh that's cool no i'm really it's really interesting and, and i suppose I'm, I'm also really interested in the british mountaineering council because i know that your sport has got that connection to the environment like canoeing does you know really completely connected and, and and people noticing the changes and have this stake in it and i'm also interested in the you know uh sequestration you know the carbon you know the way that carbon can soaked up by these peatlands and stuff so that's sounds like yeah really good and is that a big part for you as well the environmental side of things is that kind of increasing in, in, in interest oh, i suppose yeah no absolutely and um yeah as i, I guess as an example of that is um we've just well, we, we launched the climate project last year um, and it, we're not calling it an offsetting scheme for, for, for various reasons. But actually, we're, we are offering the chance for our members to support a climate change project. And that climate change project is through the work of uh, Moors of the Future and their peatland restoration work. And um, yeah, it's phenomenal the response we've had already. And we've raised over £30,000 without even trying. And so I think, you know, when more people are kind of buying travel insurance and thinking about their their footprint and actually you know particularly with covid i think people have reconnected a lot with their own you know what's on their doorstep and the mountains and they, they do value them and so the whole sort of climate project you know climate story and appreciating the outdoors has kind of come together so um yeah i think people do they do want to preserve and conserve the places that they love accessing and yeah which give us that yeah room to breathe and so on so well, thank you. No, that sounds, uh, yeah, really. And I, I'm really looking for. I need to speak to some more people in the British Mountaineering Council, so I'll be happy to chat to you. But thank you very much. And, and Ali, uh, I thought it'd be really interesting just to kind of ask a little bit. You know, so we talk a little bit about the the right to roam. I think that it's interesting. I don't know. Yeah, I suppose I'm just I'm curious as to what you've heard so far, Ali, about you know things you've talked about. Where does that connect in with the work that you're you're doing? So, well, uh, so the Ramblers were really involved in the Right to Roam campaign. They campaigned over decades to get the, the freedom to roam in, in the open spaces. And that's a, a really big part of my job. So so the Ramblers is part membership organisation. We do a lot of lead walks. We do um, individual routes for walking. And we're part charity and campaigning organisation. And that's the bit that I sit in, a bit like um, Kate and Kath. Um, and my two areas are um, open access and countryside protection so mm. I look after anything that comes across our desk really to do with the Crow Act and at the moment a, a big part of that is the creation of the England Coast Path so um, it's quite unusual it's a, it's a path all the way around the coastline of England it's actually um, a path made out of um, open access land so freedom to roam land so it's slightly different to, to all the other footpaths across the country and it has um, what, what's called spreading room, areas of freedom to roam land at the coast. So what's, okay. what's brilliant about it, one of the brilliant things about it, is that it's really bringing um, the freedom to roam down into the lowlands, because a lot of it is uplands, it's in the mountains and the moors, 
Um, and this is um, areas of beach and headland, places that anybody can get to and go and explore. Cool. So you're sort of saying like you, you've got the path, but there's a sort of areas either side of the path that you're allowed to just go and, and, and look around. In yeah, it's mainly, yeah, mainly between the path and the water. So it okay. depends what the land use is, because obviously we've got a really complex coastline. There are all sorts of things along the coast, like ports, which you just can't wander through because that would be dangerous. But, you know, lovely areas that people would like to walk on, the headlands, you know, around, around and about on the coast. Um, there are areas where you can just go and explore. Mm. And that's, yeah, I mean, exploring is one of my favourite things. And I suppose, yeah, the headlands where you just see, I want to go there. And it's just kind of sad sometimes that you can't kind of do that. And I just want to, you know, interested to hear about this, um, the Crow Act. Uh, and, and you know, the what does it do and what does it allow us, you know, what does it do for us? You know, people, mm -hmm. I've, I've only just learning about it and what, what's kind of its disappointments or what does it not allow us to do in your, in your view? Okay. Well, um, let's not start with the disappointments. Um, yeah, the, no, brilliant let's start things, <laughs> the brilliant things about the Crow Act is that it allows you to wander off path. So there are in England, Wales, 140,000 miles of rights of way, which is great. You can walk along the path, you can walk, um, you know, through fields, wherever the paths go, um, but you can't really wander off it. Whereas in the open access areas that are mapped by Crow, um, you can really connect to the landscape. You can take whatever line you want to, as long as you do no damage. If you want to go mm. and find out what the view's like over the other side of the hill, you can go and find out. If you want to look at a particular area of, you know, plants or, or whatever you're interested in, you have the flexibility to use that land in a really different way. And so, yeah, so that sounds so that you've got these areas that we can, you know, do what we want in within, you know, with, with care and, 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 and kindness. But what are the things that you wish we could do or what do you think that the things that it doesn't do for us, this, this Crow Act? So we've talked a bit about the uplands versus the lowlands. So what Crow did brilliantly was open up some of the uplands where there weren't actually that many rights of way. So people were really struggling to get onto that land and explore it. Um, it's not as common to have access land near to where people live in towns and cities, which is a real shame because... That's a freedom mm. that everybody should have to, to be able to explore you know, land that is suitable for them to go and enjoy. So there are, um, you know, there's there's land in the lowlands that would be really nice to open up for people, sort of, you know, woodlands and watersides and those types of areas. And also um, there's a, a category of land called downland in, in the Crow Act, which was about really grasslands. And the sort of the real detail of the act meant that actually um, they're really small areas that people can explore that ended up being mapped and they might not fit together properly. So they're isolated pockets you can't really get to. And they're sometimes, you know, really steep and really rugged and not, you know, they're not really places that you can walk easily. So it would be great to have another look at that and, and see whether we could find other suitable areas for people to go and explore them. Yeah, and just expand it to let let people because you know this last year, I guess people when they've had the chance have just loved getting out into the outdoors. Exactly. Yeah. I guess it's been booming. Um, so Kath, I, I read in the news recently about the news. You know, the, the 
to criminalise trespass with the policing, crime, sentencing, and I can't remember all the letters of it, that bill. And obviously, you know, this is going to affect paddlers as well. Um, what do you think it means for the, the countryside? This you, you alluded to it earlier. And, and what do you think we need to do about it? And, and who do you think it, yeah, what do you think, what, yeah, what's your thoughts on that? I think is probably my first question. <laughs> well, I think... I mean, I think the main aim of the whole bill is really to criminalise gypsy and traveller communities' way of life. Um, but actually, it, the bill also contains kind of numerous threats to the right to peaceful protest and access to the countryside, as well as a host of other kind of expansive police powers. So it is, it is potentially a real attack on our civil liberties. So the outdoor organisations in particular are concerned with part four of the bill, which is unauthorised encampments. Um, which would introduce measures to create a new offence of trespass by residing on land without consent in or with a vehicle. There's a lot of uncertainty in terms of the terminology used in the bill and, and the wording. I mean, what does that actually mean, a vehicle? Does that mean actually you're going to be penalised if you sleep in a vehicle? Or actually, could you park your vehicle and walk five miles away and wild camp and therefore be penalised? There's a lot of uncertainty. Um, I think the police the bill would also allow the police to act on suspicion by an officer that they might also intend to reside and give police the power to confiscate a vehicle so and it's a real threat and it is off-putting people you know it's all you know people enjoy and want to come to the countryside and yet this is another thing that's potentially could put off a lot of people there was also a recently a recent petitions debate on the matter and I don't think it did very much to relay any of our concerns, unfortunately. The, the Minister of State for Crime and Policing, Kit Malthouse, his response was really, well, it was, it was rubbish. And actually, I think he did say something about a boat in his in, in his response. So he was very dismissive of the concerns and he didn't really offer us any sort of real assurances on issues as such as trespass and wild camping and whether that's, you know, that's part and parcel of what it means. So, yeah, there's a trespass coalition which is a group of outdoor organisations and we are all kind of pulling together and we're looking uh, we're looking at um, oh, it's, that group is being driven actually by Guy Shrubsoul and Nick Hayes of the Right to Roam to campaign and it's a great group. Um, I think ideally we think the best course of action is just to get rid of parts three and part four of the bill entirely. Yeah it's all about unintended consequences of part four really and, and what that might mean for trespass and, and, and wild camping and you know, just just people enjoying the countryside and not really realizing that, yeah, they they shouldn't be doing X, Y, and Z, and yeah, very it's 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 a horrible piece of legislation. Well, look, and I'm 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 scared of it as well. It's really not cool. They're rushing it far too fast. And Kate, you know, you you've campaigned such a long time, and we're looking, we're talking about this trespass legislation. Do you think this is kind of just going back in time and undoing a lot of the good work that you've you've struggled for or, or and the progress that you've made? You know, how worried are you about this this bill? Well, very worried because it's so uncertain. I think Kath explained um, very well. You know the unintended consequences. So government says it's not going to capture innocent walkers and all that. But the fact is uh, that it could because of the definitions, the sloppy wording, all that. Um, we don't know as it goes through Parliament, will will we get more amendments that actually send it even further in the wrong direction? You know, that's perfectly possible. Um, but also it, it is it does create this climate and it will embolden landowners to say, get off my land and to close themselves in and to close people out 
um, all that, you know, because actually the walking public, I think, is quite nervous about doing the wrong thing. Um, I know it's a long time ago, but in about 1988, the Countryside Commission did a survey and found that um, 88% of people in the countryside um, were actually worried about going off the path and going doing something wrong. And I suspect that percentage hasn't changed that much. You know, people really, really are quite worried about it. And so they're going to be even more worried and it's not going to help people's confidence at all. Um, so I just think it, it is a huge worry. As Kath said earlier, um, this uh, just when we're coming out of lockdown, a really difficult year and people have felt better with a connection to nature. Now is the point where we need to be making it easier and more welcoming for people to be out there and to feel comfortable in the outdoors. And you're not going to feel comfortable if you think that somebody's going to be, you know, criminalising your, you know, using legislation against you. Mm. And I would also add that I don't, you know, the Crow Act is very kind of poorly understood amongst your average Joe blogs, you know, and and the legislation is different in Scotland and potentially going to be different in Wales and this is another thing that's going to just confuse and complicate the matter. And it's, you know, if people are genuinely thinking, oh, I, I, you know, I can't do that. You know, I think we're just going to end up sticking to footpaths all the time and being really worried about doing anything like stepping off the path and exploring and adventure and all those sorts of things. And yeah, there's a real risk there that, you know, we're, you know, what we're actually able to do is, is, is getting narrower. Yeah, I think it's it's really interesting because you know this there's this coalition. It's really bringing together an awful lot of people, and I think that uh, it's interesting because we're trying to bring this coalition to look after water and and rivers because we believe you know there's some comments here, so I'm I'm just going to bring Karen Johnston in there if I can show. Yeah, oh. and it says uh, she she's saying basically all water users coming together makes it better for everyone. It's a shame that there's a bit of division across all the other water sports and and um, John Tuwin, I don't know if I've said that right as well. They, he's saying there about the the fact that we all want good rivers, you know, the the, the anglers, the historic, you know, uh, enemies of, of of paddle sports. I really think we've got common cause in so many of these things now because the you know the pandemic has shown has shown people so strongly how much good it does them to be outside some of these simple simpler things in life have really helped people so much and it seems like this is exactly going in the opposite direction that what we need to and uh i'm just yeah i'm scared about it, it you know it's worry worrisome and it just seems to be completely completely backwards um i just wonder if any of you kind of what what's the you know the the have you any of your organisations got specific plans to to engage with this this uh, act or this proposed act, should I say, or is it is it still kind of all being worked out? Because it's all quite new, isn't it? Well, the the coalition is is very good, um, and and actually it's terrific to be working with organisations that we haven't worked with before. You know, the the gypsy traveller sector, um, homeless sector, it's really interesting, and um, so we are we are wanting to get rid of the those two parts of the bill three and four um, but we're also at the same time going to work on amendments and some of them we'll work on together and some of them I think will the, the access um, bodies are getting together to talk about access type amendments and we've we've done a bit of that so you know we're certainly developing our plans but we are developing our plans together so I think mm. you know it's a united front and we've got numbers and organizations fairly hefty organizations behind it so yeah 
we can but try and fingers crossed. Yeah, and I think, you know, fingers crossed is great, but, you know, it sounds like you're out there doing, you know, getting it working stuff. And and, and I think, you know, the, the paddle sport community are bound to want to, to kind of get involved with this as well because it's like it's just basically not cool is mm. as simply as I see it. <laughs> um, don't want to use imprecise language, but uh, I think that's – and I suppose um, I guess we're coming slightly towards the end of, of, of this uh, paddle cast and also the end of the series, but I just wonder um, for all – all three of you, if I go around one at a time, what you think kind of is the future? Where where is uh, where is this whole access to the countryside kind of issue going? And what does your kind of vision? What do you what would you like to see? And, and what do you want to happen? And maybe I'll start with you, Ali. You know, how do you see? What what would you like? And what's your vision of the future here? Wow. Okay. Um, I suppose I put it into two parts. One is about equality because at the moment. I mean, our recent research shows that if you have a lower income, you're far less likely to be able to go out into a quality green space, which is that's just not right, mm-hmm. is it? Um, so we we need to tackle that. We need to try and make sure that everybody is in within a few minutes walk of a green space so they can just go and unwind. And the other bit for me is all about connectivity. It's about seeing how all of our different types of access, and it is complicated, but all of the different types of rights of way and open access land and everything else fits together because people just want to go walking or, or you know, paddling or uh, horse riding, whatever, whatever you really enjoy, you want to be able to do it easily and, to be, and for your route to be enjoyable and, and not to find obstructions and, you know, all of those sorts of things. So to have a, a really well looked after well-maintained, um, well-connected access network would be fantastic. That sounds good. You know, simplicity, absolutely. You know, canoeing, I'm not going to say anything about the paddle sport community, but simpler is better, right? You know, it's got to be good. And 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 I love that idea of that equality as well, you know, just to get so we can all get out there and people can get out there from from all places of the country. That's that's wonderful to think. And and wherever, whoever you are, get access to these this green and blue therapy that we've talked about so many so many episodes uh Kath, I'm wondering what your thoughts are what's your kind of vision and how you'd like to see this uh you know this whole thing develop yeah similar to to Ali really it'd be, I mean it'd be lovely wouldn't it to sort of start in the lowlands and have that freedom to move to the woodlands and then to the the water and then up to the mountain and you know have a real sense of place and be able to to move across the landscape and feeling you know free and you're not kind of governed by rules and regulations and this that and the other and I think we've got a lot to learn from what's happening in Scotland and their right to their Scottish outdoor access code and the right you know that's a kind of human rights approach to to land rights and responsibilities and it's governed by a code and sort of sensible sensible sort of personal behavior um but I think for me the challenges well the challenges that we face really are kind of getting getting the land owning bodies on side um and at the moment, political will, uh, unfortunately, it's uh, mm. just feel like we're kind of banging our head against uh, a brick wall at the moment. Um, I think, that, yeah, I think those two are the, the, the key challenges. But, yeah, I mean, for me, yeah, just the freedom to kind of to roam, you know, that, that would mm. be that would be amazing. Well, I tell you what, I think 2021 is a year of great potential for all sorts of changes because I think, you know, we're, there's an energy, a pent up energy for all sorts of things. And, and I think, you know, banging your head against a brick wall, uh, I'm, I'm sad to hear you saying that because I wonder this year could be the, the year that all sorts of things happen and, and, and the walls could break, come tumbling down because I actually think that, you know, these, these things are galvanizing people. We're starting, you know, there's a lot of energy to, to go somewhere right now. 
I would absolutely agree, Etienne, but I think like the government on the one hand with the COVID is saying, you know, access to the countryside is a priority, but then you've got the police the police powers bill and it just it, yeah, chip away. Indeed, indeed. And Kate, what about you? I mean, you've you've been around a block, you've 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 been in a few tussles. Um, what's your kind of vision and, and how do you see this uh, maybe this year and maybe going forward, what would you like to see? Well, I mean, I certainly want to see all our paths in good order um and easy easy to use and all the paths that ought to be on the official map put on the map uh first of january 2026 is a is a cut-off date when you can no longer claim historic routes well we need to get that uh abolished that cut-off date but even so i'd like to see all those paths recorded so we had a really good really good network of paths that people felt confident about but also much greater freedom to roam and and as, as Kath says what about woodland what about along rivers you know it's ridiculous um, we can't walk along all our rivers and we ought to be able to. And then you ought to be able to, you know, dip in at any point with your kayak and uh, paddle away. So um, we certainly want to see that. And the Scottish Scottish access, yes, you know, they say world class access and it is absolutely fascinating. But I have to say in Scotland, they are now re- realising um, that they missed out on having uh, official paths. And they're now trying to get the local authorities to um, carry out their duty of, of producing core paths. So I think paths and access together are a really important mix because some people do actually like to follow a trail and other people like to wander from it so in a way the england coast path is a fine example of that you know it gives you both so you know let's have a lot more of that but facing reality you know it's going to be a fight but i I think we're all up for a fight so we'll we'll do what we can and uh, we'll do it together and it'd be great to have the paddle community with us you know all fighting together Hey, I, uh, I, that's lovely words, rousing, and I absolutely agree. I, I, I think this is such an important thing. We, we, these are the times, and uh, I'm super grateful for those words at the end there, Kate. And you know, uh, Kath and Ali, thank you so much for being on. Uh, uh, look, uh, I'd love to talk to you some more and find out. I'm sure uh, the, the adventures and the, the challenges that you've got ahead. Um, you know, they are they're 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 going to be tough, but you know, this is really good. To, I'm super super grateful for you being here, and I just want to say thank you to everybody for uh, for being on um i think it's just really uh great for coming here you know everyone coming together getting together being this community learning about some of these issues and it's been really quite educational for me and i hope it's been interesting for for a lot of you out there and you know let's keep pushing on so yeah that's it for the paddlecast series two um i hope you've enjoyed being with us um thank you so much to all the guests who've been all the way through they've been wonderful they, they you know it's been so nice i've enjoyed my thursday evenings uh, you know so much and for all the questions the love and the good vibes coming through on the comments sorry not to be able to get to all of them i also just got to say a very massive thank you to mark shardlow who is uh, the producer of the paddlecast and who does the behind the scenes thing and there's also a whole lot of team doing bits and pieces to help make the show the uh, uh, such a pleasure to be a part of so much love to them so yeah i just want to say thank you once again if you've got any feedback on the series please do get in touch we'd love to hear your ideas but for now i will uh, say goodbye um hopefully see you on a river or out there at some point um but all the very best have a good summer stay safe and uh, see you soon much love to you all Mwah. bye for now <laughs>